welcome to Long Story Short, sponsored by the Kirkpatrick Foundation. I'm Ted Struley, the Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. I'm with Jennifer Palmer, who covers education for Oklahoma Watch. She's been covering the statewide virtual charter school board, which hasn't been able to meet for two months and is still too short on members to conduct business. Jennifer, tell us what the statewide virtual charter school board is. This is a board not too many people know much about. Um, It's a smaller board by statute, just five members. And they are, um, by statute, the only entity that can authorize a state uh, virtual charter school. And uh, that board then is responsible for all virtual charter schools, uh, including Epic. That's right. And of course, Epic has been in the news quite a bit lately. They um, are one of the largest schools in the entire state, number three after only Oklahoma City and Tulsa. So a lot of students there. And, um, you know, lots of investigations that have been going on at Epic regarding how they spend their money and um, their founders and former CFO who are charged um, with some financial crimes. Now, in your story, uh, you wrote that uh, really the whole nation will be watching a pending decision by this board. Tell us about that. Right. So not only does this board have Epic on its plate, which is a big deal, um, but they are expecting an application from the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City. Um, They were notified a couple of months ago that this application was coming. And um, the uh, Catholic Church has said, we expect you or we want to know if you will evaluate this um, application. And if you don't, we feel like it's discrimination against against us because simply because we're religious, even though the law prohibits that. So yeah, this is this is coming and it's kind of a test case for um, religious charter schools around the, the country, really. Now, uh, this board has canceled their past two meetings. As we said earlier, they haven't met in several months. Why can't they meet? Well, th- it's a five-member board um, by statute, and they're down to two members, which is not enough to meet. It's not enough to conduct business. So they had to cancel November and, no, they had canceled December and January. Now, one resignation from that board was uh, pretty recent, but two of those five board seats have been empty since 2021. Uh, is that right? How, how can that be? Well, that's a great question. Those two um, board members resigned in 2021 um, after some uh, news stories came out and information that they had ties to Epic and they had the board chairman had um, told them that they couldn't vote on Epic related matters anymore. Um, So they resigned, um, both of them, and those two seats um, have been empty this whole time. Now, the board has been able to kind of limp along, you know, throughout those months and still meet as long as all three board members could make it. Um, And that was, um, you know, pretty difficult, but they've made it happen. And then in November, Stitt, uh, Governor Stitt hired one of the remaining board members to be his chief of staff, which is what took them down to two. 
Now, Governor Stitt, uh, House Speaker Charles McCall, and the Senate's pro tem Greg Treat are each responsible for appointing someone to fill seats on that board. Uh, what have they had to say? That's right. The statute specifies that each of the five seats are, you know, a certain um, government leader is responsible for appointing those seats. And so with the three vacancies, actually, the way it works out is one vacancy lands on each of those um, those folks plate. Um, I have reached out to all of them. Governor Stitt's spokesperson said that it's in the works. They're evaluating um, potential applicants and I did not hear back from McCall or Treat on their positions. I don't know why they've been open so long. Now, uh, what what came about that made you want to write this story in the first place? I mean, I've covered Epic for um, many years, and so I'm familiar with this board. And last week, there was a lot of news about the Board of Education Understandably, you know, they had almost a full turnover. They had four new members. There was some news being written about those new members. Um, but I just kept thinking, that board's really important, but so is the statewide virtual charter school board with these two really major issues on their plate. And I felt like that was getting kind of overlooked. And I also just really had questions of why why they couldn't meet, why um, those seats had been open for so long. Um, I think... Uh, some folks, um, you know, certainly the board chairman who I talked talk to, he says, you know, it might be because there's some uh, movement at the Capitol to kind of change this board and make it something kind of different and what is why they have hold, held those seats open for so long. But in the meantime, there's really important business that they need to take care of. All right. Well, thanks, Jennifer. You can read Jennifer's story about uh, the state's virtual charter school board's inability to conduct business and all her other investigative work on our website, oklahomawatch.org. While you're there, you can also subscribe to her weekly newsletter, Education Watch. Democracy reporter Keaton Ross recently updated Oklahoma Watch's legislative personal financial disclosure database to include newly elected lawmakers. He's here to discuss how Oklahomans can use that information. Keaton, what kind of financial info are lawmakers required to disclose? They're required to disclose any income over $20,000 outside of their lawmaker pay, as well as any business investments over where they have a 5% or more stake or $50,000 or more uh, on the line. So it's not a full tax return or all of their, their money coming in, but it's a decent chunk of it. Now, do elected officials have a deadline to submit that information? It, it varies based on when they were elected uh, and if they've held a public office before or a statewide public office before. Um, so the folks who were newly elected to the legislature last November had a deadline a month after officially taking office to get those forms in, which was uh, the end of December. Um, but if, if there were, you know, if you're an incumbent who was elected, uh, you have a May 15th deadline uh, each year to get it in. Um, so the updated forms are from those newly elected folks. And then uh, for the calendar year 2022, the folks who are in office uh, have until May to get that information in. 
All right, now those uh, forms are public record, of course, but they're not available on any state government website, are they? That's correct. Uh, you have to request it from the State Ethics Commission. I, I believe that maybe has something to do with uh, uh, concerns about information, you know, phone numbers or email addresses listed on the forms. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, um, but this is something we started last year and are continuing to update uh, just so, so voters have that information on their elected officials. Now, if uh, folks want to come look up their state representative or their state senator in our database, how do they go about doing that? So on the top, the top left corner of the the, uh, data visualization, there's a search bar. So uh, it's pretty long list. You know, there's 150 odd people in, in, in the database, but you can, you know, search your, your representative or senator's name or you can search your district number. Um, there's also the uh, hometown of the uh, lawmakers included, so that that could even work. Um, and if you search any of that information, uh, it should be able to narrow it down, and you can can find your your lawmakers in there. Now, if somebody's browsing that database and they uh, notice something out of the ordinary, what do they do? Uh, yeah, you can email me at kross at oklahomawatch.org. Um, and I'll certainly get back to you. Um, of course, this is just, you know, a good transparency thing. It's not uh, alleging anything. It's just putting that information, the public record out in the public. And um, it's a tool for us to use as a tool for the public to have. Um, so, you know, if you see something that maybe we didn't catch or would be good for us to know, certainly uh, you can email me at, at kross at oklamawatch.org. All right. Now, the uh, database and the reason... Uh legislators are required to submit those forms is to make sure they don't have any conflicts of interest while uh, they're conducting state's business. When will those lawmakers start voting on bills? Yeah, so the legislative session begins February 6th, a little less than three weeks from when we're recording this podcast, and then they'll start voting on on measures uh, shortly after the governor gives the state of the state of the state. Um, and, and they get the ball rolling on, on going through bills. Uh, so it's coming up pretty quickly. Now, what would be standard protocol if a bill came up for a vote and a lawmaker did have a potential conflict of interest? So ahead of uh, a committee uh, hearing where they're going through bills at that level or a, a full vote in the, in the House or Senate, there's usually a um, agenda of bills that uh, are going to be voted on and will be considered. So usually that would probably look like just communication between uh, the committee chair or, or leadership in a certain chamber, um, knowing that a lawmaker has this background and it, it could be seen as a conflict of interest, just knowing that going in to um, a hearing and then, of course, abstaining from voting on that. Um, so it's just kind of preparation and, and knowledge of it before, before going into uh, voting. Now, there are 24 new members of the legislature this time around. What kind of professional backgrounds do they have? So we see a lot of uh, people with real estate backgrounds, um, several uh, people with insurance um, as, as their professional background as I was going through those forms and checking them out. Um, not not tremendously surprising, you know, if you're going to make a, a run for the legislature, you have usually have uh, some flexibility as far as your 
uh, career um, to be able to take time off to campaign or whatnot. Um, so a lot of, you know, self, you know, people who own businesses, real estate, insurance, that sort of thing, uh, one or two attorneys as well. Um, so that's what I noticed there. And then uh, full disclosure, uh, one of our uh, board members at Oklahoma Watch, Suzanne Schreiber, is one of those uh, 24 newly elected legislators uh, heading into the session. Uh, well, thanks, Keaton. Uh, you can read Keaton's uh, story about the financial disclosures and access that database uh, on our website, oklahomawatch.org. While you're there, you can also subscribe to Keaton's weekly newsletter, Democracy Watch. Ashlyn Huffman joins us. She covers criminal justice for Oklahoma Watch. In her latest story, she looked at a new law that affects incarcerated people and their families. Ashlyn, tell us about this new law. So the new law is the Martha Wright Reed Communications Act of 2022. And essentially, it amended the current Communications Act of 1934. Now, what does that new law do? And it sounds like this is a federal law, right? Yeah, it was bipartisan legislation passed by Congress this year. Um, So the new law gives the Federal Communications Commission the authority to set reasonable phone rates um, for inmates and their families. uh, Prison phone uh, costs for inmates has been a Uh, topic of a lot of discussion over the years. You spoke to some families of incarcerated people. What did they have to say? Right. This has been in the works for decades. Um, It's slowly been getting lowered, but even though it's slowly been getting lowered, families are still overburdened with the costs. They have to pay a permanent fee. They have to uh, pay a fee to get the money onto the cards to pay for a phone. And then also uh, one of the big problems is their phone calls are dropping. So um, they'll be in the middle of a conversation and it'll drop. Now, uh, you mentioned that the law has some limitations. What are those? Right. So the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, they have a capped rate set at 21 cents per minute. Now, Oklahoma, we are below the capped rate. We are about 14 cents per minute, which is uh, 2.10 for a uh, 15-minute phone call. So we are below the capped rate. So unless the uh, state legislators decide to lower it or if the federal government lowers it, Oklahoma families will not see a change. Did you talk to any legislators? I did. I spoke with Representative Justin Humphrey. He um, he has had 30 years of experience in corrections, and so, and he's also on the Criminal Justice Corrections Committee for the legislators. So I asked him, I said, so um, what are the chances that we're going to lower it? Because states such as Illinois are only a penny a minute. California just went free. And he said that he thinks the rates are reasonable right now. So he doesn't see us lowering it. Uh, what did other policymakers have to say? Obviously. Policymakers said that this is a big step in the right direction. As I said, it's been decades working towards this. Um, And so when I spoke to policymakers, their biggest concern was when um, families are overburdened with costs, they have to choose between groceries or calling their loved one. It has a revolving cycle on the incarcerated person. So maintaining relationships and communications with incarcerated people actually helps society because it reduces recidivism 
and it um, boosts the morale within the prison. And then when they get released, they actually have those relationships on the outside, which also helps them further on in their life. And what do you think was the the biggest thing uh, people might take away from your story? So the biggest thing is that, like I said, Oklahoma will not see a change unless our state legislators decide to go below 15 cents or unless the federal government goes below their 14, unless they go below 14 cents for us. Now, um, we do have that option to go free like California did, um, lower it more than we have. And uh, another thing that California did before they went free is they actually banned most of the fees associated so I think also lowering fees might help families as well. All right. Well, thanks, Ashlyn. You can read Ashlyn's story about the new federal legislation affecting prison phone rates, which has been a hot topic for many years. Uh, if you visit our website, oklahomawatch.org. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch, which you can find on the web at oklahomawatch.org. This podcast was made possible by a grant from the Kirkpatrick Foundation, for which we're grateful. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening. This is Oklahoma Watch Executive Director Ted Struley. During the months of November and December, Oklahoma Watch is eligible for a matching grant from the Miami Foundation under their Newsmatch program. The Miami Foundation matches dollar for dollar every single donation given to a nonprofit news organization like ours that's participating in the program. That means that if you donate $5 a month, we get a match for $60. They match the entire year. If you can offer $10 a month, they'll match the whole year's worth $120. For $50 a month, they'll match $300. Every nickel you give is matched by the Miami Foundation as long as we receive it between November 1st and December 31st. And as a bonus, if you happen to be a brand new donor, we get an additional grant if we reach 100 new donors in the last two months of the year. If you enjoy the work we do at Oklahoma Watch, if you appreciate our investigative reporting, our holding government officials accountable, take just a moment, please, and visit us at oklahomawatch.org. Find our support page and pledge $5 a month, $10 a month, $50 a month, whatever you're comfortable doing. Every dollar of that will be matched. And if you're a new donor, we get a bonus on top of that. We're nonprofit. We don't sell ads. This is what keeps us going and what keeps our newsroom uh, keeping the public's business public. Thanks again.